Amen. Good morning. So glad to have you here with us this morning. Good to see everyone, especially if you're visiting. We're very thankful to have you with us, and we hope to see you again, and we hope to get to know you, and we want you to know if that if you're looking for a church home, uh, we'd love to be the place for you, and we want to uh, visit with you about that. We invite you to be uh, a part of the work here at this congregation. Have you ever wondered why you are a Christian? why you claim the faith that you claim, why you go through the motions and the routines? Have you wondered, is that really all this is, is just motions and routines? Have you wondered if it's supposed to be more than that? Have you ever wondered, maybe I'm not doing it right? Have you ever secretly thought, maybe I ought to just quit, just take a break for a little while and go back to it. Peter has something to say to us about that. And I want us to look at what he writes to Christians who were spread around in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He wrote to them to encourage them in their faith, to encourage them to hold on to their faith, and to remind them of what their faith is all about. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you as well. So let's look there at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're just going to take some sections of the passage as we work through verses 1 through 9 and, uh, and, and see what we can get out of that in, in the time that we have. And I'll, I'll read each one, and then we'll talk about it. So look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in the uh, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, from the beginning, Paul starts off from the very beginning of this letter to these Christians all over in this area. Uh, he reminds them that the world is not their home. He calls them exiles, and he doesn't mean literal exiles. He means uh, uh, exiles as if the, because the world is not their home. And that's what he's wanting to impress upon them and will continue to do so. He's referring to them having their citizenship in heaven, as Paul said. And and then as Peter will later say in chapter 2, being aliens and strangers, or your translation may say sojourners and exiles in this world. And this concept goes way back to the Old Testament times uh, with the Israelites and the wandering of the desert. They, 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 they didn't belong here. They, they were set aside as God's people, and this world was not their home. And God had something else for them. Now, there's an urgency that we see in Peter's writing. From the very beginning, he jumps right into it. It's in, in, in short letters, he gets right into it. There's urgency, there's, there's vivid language, and, and he's, he's, he's got something to say. He needs them to get this message. And he says, according uh, uh, that to the foreknowledge of God. He said, Christians, uh, they are Christians according to the foreknowledge of God. 
Meaning that God has always had his church in mind. That's what he means by that. Uh, This foreknowledge refers to God's chosen people, those sanctified or set apart as God's people. Turn over to the next chapter in chapter 2 and look at verses 9 through 10 where he writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is not Uh, predestination of individuals. This is God uh, and his plan for his church, his people. And anyone is welcome to be in that church if they'll simply uh, do the things that he would have them do. In other words, obeying the gospel and following him and turning to him. That's what he wants for all people, to be in his church. He'd want nothing more than to have everyone in his church and one day everyone in heaven with him. You get to be in the church, Peter shows us, by the sanctification of the Spirit. Do you see that there? And that's when you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. God sanctifies us by virtue of the blood of Christ that he shed on the cross. And see, God does the sanctifying when we do the obeying. When we uh, put on Christ in baptism, God sanctifies us. There, in that moment, he adds us to his church and he sets us apart for his service. We become one of his among his people. And, and then there's, there's also a sanctifying that keeps going on. Peter reminds these Christians that being saved by God includes being obedient to God. We don't always like that word obedient and that concept today unless we're talking about our children. But we don't like for someone to tell us something we have to do. Not, not in our culture. We, we, we don't like, we get upset about that. That bothers us, the, the concept of obeying. But it's a very biblical concept and not in a harsh legalistic way. And we're going we're gonna to see that. Sanctification, you see, isn't passive, even though it, uh, it happens uh, by that operation of God in the water when a person becomes a Christian. But the believer then embraces God's will as his will. So it's not passive where it's one and done, uh, you became a Christian and that's it and that's all you have to do. It is an active living thing. It is a continual growing uh, and maturing in obedience to the will of God to do and to be what he wants for you. And, and see, here's, here's where God wants us to understand. It's always from the heart. Your faith is not about a long list of rules and check boxes. And if you can complete all those every day or every week and, and, and make sure you jump through the hoops, then you're good. Because guess who that depends on? That depends on you. And guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to fail, aren't you? That's why it's not about, it's always about our heart being turned towards God, devoted to God. That's always what Uh, He he wants us to obey from the heart, to be turned towards him, consumed by God, to be in love with God and tuned in with him. We want to follow God because of what God has done for us 
through Christ. I want you to see that's the motivation. So if we go back to those questions we thought about at the beginning, why do I do this? Why am I a Christian? Is it worth it? Should I take a break? Uh, is, it, is it meaningful? Is it just some routines and motions I go through? And Peter's trying to tell these people who are spread about and, and who suffer for their faith, and he's trying to encourage them to hold on. He's trying to tell them, no, it's worth it. And we're going to see that. Continually. Now, finally, we see the sprinkling of blood, and that's another uh, Old Testament reference uh, because of how blood was used in the Old Testament uh, to cleanse things. The shedding of blood, the blood of an animal, uh, was used in many uh, different ways and sacrifices, and it was a reminder to Israel that sanctification. That being holy, that, that living for God was not a, a trivial, uh, flippant thing. It, it, imagine the process and the time and, and, and the mess and all that was involved in all those sacrifices of different kinds. He wanted them to know this is important. This it matters. And now we don't have to do those things today. It led us up to obeying purely from the heart and doing the will of God under the new covenant. Now, the Hebrew author tells us this in Hebrews 9. Look at Hebrews 9, 21 and 22. Hebrews 9, 21 and 22. Uh, that he tells us that things are cleansed or purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You see, and, and Hebrews does a lot to tell us about why Christ came and what that means in terms of our forgiveness of sin. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 1.7. He said, in him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness uh, for our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And then back to 13 verse 12, look at what he writes. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate. In order to sanctify, you see that word? To set apart the people, God's people, through his own blood. He only had to do it once. We are sanctified or set apart for God at one point when we obey the gospel. And then as we continue to obey the gospel and grow spiritually, grow in our faith. Look at 1 John 1, 7. Uh, as when we live in, in, in active faithfulness to God's will, look what we see in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, you see the if there? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Peter is writing to these people to tell them, hold on to your faith, it's worth it. Don't quit, don't pause, don't go on vacation, don't take a little break, a mini vacay. Don't do that in your faith. Stay with it, stay engaged, and grow spiritually and serve uh, the living God. Now, we still want to know if the Christian life is worth it. Is it worth putting forth all this effort in our lives? Is it worth this time and our, our resources? Is it worth living differently and, and sometimes not doing things we'd like to do? So let's look at verses 3 through 5 and see if Peter can help us understand. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. Peter just said a whole lot of things. Let's look at a few things that God chose to act because of his love and mercy towards us. He acted because if he hadn't, we'd have been lost, wouldn't we? And it shows how much he cares for us to act and do what he did in order to save us, to shed the the blood of his own son in order to save those who would believe. Now look at what he says. He has caused us to be born again. Do you see that? New Testament authors use this kind of vivid language uh, to describe going from a non-Christian to a Christian. This, this whole idea of being born again, I remember Jesus talked about this uh, in John chapter 3, and in verse 3 he said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then Paul wrote in Romans 6, 4, But we are buried therefore with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may uh, walk in newness of life, that new life. But what are we born to? Do you see that? What are we born to? We are born, Peter says, to a living hope. You're not just born... Uh, and, and, and as if a human is going is gonna to die, is going to pass away, you're born to a living hope. Now I want you to see that. That's, that's, that says something about your faith and about your hope and why you uh, are a Christian if you are. Uh, this is not a one-time act. This is not one thing that you do and then it's over. This is a living hope. It's a life that you're born into. It's, it's this living hope. Uh, of our hope being in God, in the living God. A living hope in the living God. Isn't that exciting? That ought to get you excited in your faith that this is not some dead faith, something that's just in a book that was written by people back then and, and some of it is true like many believe. This is a living hope. This is real for the Christian. This living hope uh, is, is, is the hope in Jesus the Christ. He is our hope, the one in whom we hope. Now, Peter reminds these Christians that there's something more, something better, something beyond what we have here, okay? And sometimes that's easy to forget, isn't it? We go through the the, the, the world and our lives and everything. It's, it, we forget that there's something more, something better, something beyond. And, and Scripture is always trying to call us into remembrance of that. The person outside of Christ, think about that, has nothing more to hope in than what they can gain in this world. More money, more achievements, more possessions, uh, more adventure, more whatever they want to do. That, that's, that's the best you can hope for. And while this world has a lot of uh, beautiful things and great things to offer, that's the best you can hope for, is more of those kinds of things. But guess what? All that's going to pass away soon. All that's gone in a few short years, and what did it really matter? It didn't help you eternally, because you still have to face uh, eternity. Now, Peter says our hope, is beyond anything this world has to offer. And anything that we can achieve in this world is nothing in comparison to our hope in Christ. Now, the Christian 
The Christian's hope is, notice this, what's next in the scripture, is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that? If he had not been raised from the dead, there would be no hope, would there? But it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And because he rose again, we can believe that what he said is true, and he is who he says he is. Had he not been raised from the dead, we couldn't believe him. We couldn't believe anything he said except maybe glean moral uh, uh, teachings from things that he said. But we can actually believe in who he is and what he said because he was, risen from, he was raised from the dead by God's power. Look, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you when Jesus returns. And it's that same power that forgives us of our sins and that same power that will take us to be home in heaven one day. That's the power of God. No one else can do that. And we don't understand everything about God, do we? We've got big questions, and we don't, we don't know why he does everything he does and, 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 and how he does it and, and all of his reasons. But uh, th- there's one thing that we can know, that he's the almighty God. He's the only one. There is no, there is no one else. There is no, uh, no one after him. There's not another one. He's the only one, the one and only true and living God. And it is, it is him who gave his son so that we can be with him one day. God did that for us. That's how much the almighty God loves you. We're saved through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We're saved through believing the message of Jesus. Now, look at Romans chapter 6, verse 8 real quick. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. Do you see that? Like his. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one, one who has died has been set free from sin. That's you when you become a Christian. Uh, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Our hope is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter talked about it in chapter 3 of of, uh, 1 Peter, verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see all that? You see how Scripture just comes together and teaches us all these things? It's because of the gospel that we have hope. Now look at verses 4 and 5 of uh, 1 Peter 1. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, and then what? To an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see all that? 
We can't get through all of that, but Peter describes our hope as an inheritance. The Israelites looked forward to the physical promised land of Canaan, and and, and that was just a foreshadowing of the heavenly promised land, that heavenly inheritance that we have. Uh, If if Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates were your grandfathers on on each side, and they gave you everything that they had, all of their uh, worth when they died, You'd have a lot of money, wouldn't you? In fact, uh, Bezos is worth, at least today, $112 billion. Gates is worth $106 billion. Now, if I used a calculator correctly, that's $218 billion. That's a lot of money, isn't it? That'll buy you a lot of things and let you do a lot of stuff. But... Peter is telling us that that, all that money is absolutely nothing compared to our heavenly inheritance. And we got to remember that, don't we? Because we live in the land of plenty. We live and we like our stuff and we like doing our things and it's okay. But we got to keep things in perspective, don't we? He's telling us the most important thing is that heavenly inheritance, that salvation. See, and then also look. God guards our salvation. Do you see that? He guards our salvation. Now, how does he do it? Look at what Peter writes. Through our faith. Do you see that? He guards our salvation through our faith. So what does that mean? Our inheritance is guarded, like maybe how a will might guard your inheritance. Our inheritance is guarded by God through our faith. So if I don't want it, if I give up on it, if I turn away from it, and I don't want anything to do with it, I don't have it anymore, do I? Do you see that? Now God doesn't want that to happen. But if I don't want it, he's not going to make me take it. Do you see that? Our inheritance, we've got, we've got through our faith, To make sure we stay walking in the light as he is in the light. And God protects that inheritance. All right, now look at verses uh, 6 through 7. In this you rejoice. So after Peter said all this stuff, he said, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that, that perishes though it's tested by fire, Your faith is more precious than all that money, remember? That that your faith may be found to result in, watch this, your faith can result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is it you rejoice in? What you rejoice in uh, is that you've been born again. You rejoice in uh, the living hope. You rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus. You rejoice in your heavenly inheritance. And you rejoice in your salvation. And in this letter, Peter says a lot about suffering and trials in this short letter. He's trying to help these Christians to see that suffering for their faith, uh, uh, to see that through the uh, faith lens, the lens of God, to see it through faith. And that when you go through trials for your faith, you're going to be okay. Your trials even strengthen your faith. And and God will even vindicate you on the day of judgment. Look at what he says. This kind of sounds uh, uh, foreign to us. But he says, actually, 
that you may be found to re- your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is God giving your faith praise, glory, and honor on the day of judgment. It's, it's like in the parable when, when Jesus uh, said, uh, well, well done, that good and faithful servant. That's what that means there. Because you're, you've stayed strong in your faith. You've endured in your faith. Okay, let's, skip down, let's go down to verse number 8 and wrap this up. Look at verse number 8 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I, I don't know if you've ever seen that before in this passage, that Peter, that Peter says that about your joy. Look at what he says. You, 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 you love him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled, filled with glory. That's a lot of joy, isn't it? The Christian has this deep, everlasting joy that is in them because Christ is in them. It's this uh, a supernatural joy that we're to have. And that it's the world doesn't understand. The world doesn't understand what, what that is in us. Peter uses this word for inexpressible. He coined this word. This word didn't exist uh, before he was inspired to write this. It's not used anywhere else in Scripture. It means unable to find expression in words. Unable to find expression in words. He's, Peter's saying the joy of the Christian ought to be so much, not, not the smile and the how are you good, good, how are you good, and that's all fine and good, but he said it's deeper, it's not a facade, this is this deep, way down within you kind of joy. And he said, it is, it is uh, un, you're unable to find expression in words. So someone asked, how did you make it through that? How do you hold, why do you hold, why? go to that church and why do you read that Bible and why do you believe that? And you've got that joy that sometimes you can't even fully explain why, but you know, because you know what Christ has done for you. It's the distinguishing mark of a Christian. They have that joy with it. And it's not even joy uh, by itself. It's filled with glory. Now we can't even hardly imagine that. But it's, it's this kind of, of, of joy that makes us different. And, and it makes us worship out of our joy. It makes us uh, serve out of our joy. It makes us study out of our joy, pray out of our joy, share our faith out of our joy, be involved out of our joy, not, not out of uh, I, I have to or I'm obligated or, or, or anything, uh, guilt, or anything, but I have to because the joy is in me and I can't even express it, but, but I've got to live for God. That's the kind of joy Peter wants us to have. What if we lived like that? What if we actually lived like that? That would be crazy, wouldn't it? Can you imagine us actually living like that? You're not supposed to actually live like that, are you? That, that's, that's just, 
words on a page. An author wrote that sound good and exciting, right? No, that's how we're supposed to be living. And if I'm not, it's not wrong. I might be wrong. You see that? I, I, I want to just encourage you to think about this. Look, look at verse number 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what it's all about. Obtaining the outcome. What's the outcome you're after? The salvation of your soul. What's the outcome you want for your spouse, for your children, for your grandchildren? The salvation of their souls. What's the outcome you want for that coworker, that neighbor, that whoever, for everyone in the world? What is it that you want for them? of their souls. That ought to be what it should be for the Christian. And I want to obtain that outcome in my faith. I need to live like this, not to earn anything because I can't. I can't begin to, but, but out of my joy for my salvation, I ought to live like that. Gary and Ashley Collins, they understand this. They were baptized last night. Now they walk in newness of life. They've been studying the Bible, seeing what the Bible teaches for them, what God wants for them. And they put on Christ in baptism, and they have that new life. Peter's words here refocus our lives, our existence. They need to make us question uh, everything, examine everything about our lives, our priorities, our money, our activities, everything, and make us ask ourselves, am I living like this? Or is something else more important? A am I chasing something else more than I'm chasing that inheritance in heaven? And I want you to be encouraged today to live like this, to live with that inexpressible joy that's filled with glory for your salvation. And then we got to help others do that too. And we can never stop doing that. That's who we are and what we do. That's our identity. And if you don't have this in your life for whatever reason, you can have it. If you've lost it for whatever reason and you used to, you can have it back. If you've never had that and you, you want that and you know that, that's that missing piece in your life. That, that's what, what that hole is in your soul. You can have that. We want you to know that this church cares about you and we are here for you. And if there's any way that we can serve you, if you need prayers, if you just need to talk, if you need to study, if, if, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism this morning, we want you to know that this church is here for you and we care about you. And if there's anything we can do to minister to you today, you can come forward now as we together stand and sing.